If we took a holiday, and we did a giveaway, lots of chances for you to win. It'll give you, it'll give you a big old grin. It's that time, dear friend. It is our holiday giveaway, which Whitney and I are so excited to share with you because we have so much cool stuff that you have a chance to win. I just, Whitney, I'm kind of bursting at the seams, not because I'm still full on leftovers from Thanksgiving. Oh, I am as well. I am so excited. And don't forget, this is not just a holiday giveaway. This is also our one year anniversary with this podcast celebratory giveaway. And we want to make sure that you, the listener, get a chance at winning some of the amazing things we've included. You can go visit wellevator.com slash giveaway to enter right now. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com slash giveaway. Do I need to spell that out too? I might as well. G-I-V-E-A-W-A. Wait, wait a second. I screwed it up. I screwed up the word giveaway. Let me do this again. G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y. There you go wellvader.com slash giveaway. Check it out. We have amazing prizes for you from incredible companies that we've talked about on the show. If you've had some FOMO, fear of missing out, if you've heard us talk about brands and you've been eyeing them for a while, this is your opportunity to get them for free. Super high value, tons of incredible wellness brands. Go check it out at wellevator.com slash giveaway. Please don't ask me to spell it again. It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because This Might Get Uncomfortable starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to pronounce this word right, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Jason, have you ever heard of a trad wife? I have absolutely no clue what you're talking about. Like not even a, a generalized reference. Trad wife? I no, no. It's spelled T R A D W I F E. So I would assume trad wife is the correct pronunciation. It is short for traditional wife. And it is the name for a housewife who broadcasts her domestic life and adherence to traditional gender roles on social media. So this is like a hashtag where people who are calling themselves trad wives with a certain level, I guess, of what, pride, they're using this hashtag in their posts? Is that what's going on? I don't know if it's a hashtag. It's an actual term that people are using now. And I guess it's like a whole thing. (laughs) I'm sure I've seen the content. I just didn't know there was a name for it. Well, how did this even come across your path? I mean, this is this reminds me actually of like, God, this was a while ago. This was maybe back in 2015. Yeah, 2015. I remember our mutual friend, El Marquis, was telling me about this thing called Normcore. 
And I was like, I've never heard of Normcore. And she ended up showing me all of these accounts that were posting images of them vacuuming, them cleaning their ovens, scooping up their cat box. And it was all like this movement called Normcore, which I think was in response to the curated, perfected, idealized shots that most, you know, a lot of people, most people probably have to some degree or another on their on their social media accounts. So when you say Tradwife, I don't know, for some reason, it reminds me of Normcore in a tangential way. And yeah, I guess I'm curious, how did this even cross your path, Whitney? And have you dug deeper into what kind of people are saying or how they're using this? Like, how does this even come up in the world? Well, I believe I came across it through this website and newsletter I subscribe to called Influence.co. It's actually really great. I signed up for their influencer marketing platform. And then, of course, I started getting the newsletters. And then they featured me on this series that they do called No Filter, which is what I'm reading from today. There's a wonderful writer named Kate Lindsay, who I believe is also the editor. And she is a really good writer. And she just writes about really interesting topics. And this was one of them. And, and they're very good about the clickbait in their newsletters. So I was like, what the heck is a trad wife? And she wrote this wonderful article, which of course I will link to in the show notes at wellevator.com, which if you've not visited before is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I'm actually learning more about this live as we're doing this episode, because I, I think it's actually a little bit more interesting and, and um, more honest versus uh, spending all this time prepping and, and having all the answers. We'll discover this together, Jason. And it is kind of similar to this norm core that you're talking about, which is because tradwives are women who refer to themselves based around their slower, quieter way of life. And I think that this started to really build this year during COVID. And of course, like bread baking, sourdough especially was a big thing this year. So trad wives are baking bread. They're picking vegetables from the garden, which has grown in popularity this year because of the pandemic. A lot of people felt more comfortable growing their own food, which I actually think is really cool. But apparently, some of these trad wives also will do things like wearing bonnets. They're talking about homeschooling their children. They love books like Anne of Green Gables and beeswax candles, apparently. Like, it's kind of like this old school thing. And part of what I'm interested in is like, is this something that aligns with me and appeals to me? I mean, I'm not a wife at this time, but you know, I could probably do a lot of these same things, even though I'm not being quite that version of domestic. I think, of course, anybody can bake bread and pick vegetables and, and enjoy candles. But what I'm curious about as I learn more about this through this episode is whether this falls into a lot of my feminist viewpoints. Like, is this going back to this women belong in the kitchen mentality? Are women putting themselves in a place of like old school domestic, right? Or is this like a new school domestic, like kind of combining feminism with a desire for maybe to have this slower, quieter way of life? We've talked about minimalism. We've talked about slowing down versus hustling and the joys of road trips and just kind of going about life and reconnecting with the things that we love. You've talked about moving, Jason, and and just kind of trimming down and having a slower life in general. So I think a lot of those things 
really appeal. And I am not surprised that this is appealing to a lot of women, but I do think it's interesting because I kind of have this viewpoint as millennial women being like very independent and like more on the feminist way of like wavelength. And so I'm curious how this corresponds. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a quote housewife, but I think there is part of me that sees that as limiting or constraining, if that makes sense. Mm, when you say limiting and constraining, and how so? When you imagine this in your mind's eye, limiting and constraining in what, in what ways? Just in the sense of, does that mean that you still have your independence, you know, like, or do I need to get married to feel fulfilled or to feel like a woman or what's wrong with being single? What's wrong with being unmarried? What's wrong with not having kids? Like, I don't believe that as a woman, I need to follow this path of getting married necessarily. I'm not against marriage. I'm just saying like, I'm not in a rush to get married. And I hope that that doesn't define my life being a wife, if that makes sense. Okay. This is interesting. I mean, I'm not insinuating you're saying that there's anything wrong with that because apparently with this movement, there are some people that maybe being a wife and a mother and a sister or a caretaker is part of their identity, but it doesn't sound like that would resonate with you. Is it that would feel just too, I mean, kind of back to our conversation about labels and titles, just too constricting for you? You would, you feel like it would what restrict your freedom to express yourself or what exactly would you feel? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's kind of hard to verbalize. It's interesting to express out loud because it makes sense in my head. I'm saying that for me in general, as I've said many times, I fall into mostly a middle ground perspective on life. And I guess I view like the traditional viewpoints for women is like, oh, well, your life path is getting married and having kids and letting go of your dreams and your independence and your desires to start a business. And then there's other extremes of women who never get married and kind of rebel against the whole thing or never have kids or are so focused on their career. And then there are some women who find a balance or say that they find a balance when they really don't. And there's so many different perspectives. And I, I don't think that there's wrong with anything. I'm, I'm just looking at it through my viewpoint. Would I want to play the role of this, quote, traditional wife? I'm not sure because the way that I view being a traditional wife feels limiting to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. I also want to kind of touch on something that I'm, I'm curious what your opinion is on this. A, do you consider yourself a feminist? And B, what is your definition of feminism and how does that show up in your life? Because I, I think that you mentioned that at the beginning of this episode and I don't really want to let that go because I want to know what, what you feel that is in your life and how that shows up, Whitney. Well, I don't really consider myself a feminist because I'm not sure that my definition of feminism is fully in line with it. It's kind of like this same fear that I have about a lot of things. Going back to titles, you know, there are a lot of people that when you say you're something, if you're not 100% that way, they think that you're a hypocrite. Like we've talked about this as vegans. It's like, I identify as a vegan, but I get very irritated when people are like, but that isn't vegan and you're doing that thing. You know, it's like you can go down this ongoing list of things that you're either doing right or not doing right. And being super strict about definitions is not really my thing. I would say the closest I get to being strict is being vegan. And I don't think I'm strict by a lot of means. 
So when it comes to feminism, I suppose that my very loose definition of it is based in women being equal and women being whatever they want to be, you know? And I think that's part of the exploration here is my ideal definition of feminism would have room for women to live life however they choose. And I think examining my viewpoints on the traditional housewife, a lot of my like preconceived notions around that are like, hey, like you don't need to go to work. I'll make all the money and you stay home and clean and cook and take care of the kids. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But in my viewpoint, that feels limiting that I'm somebody who wants to work and I like having my own time and being independent and and noticing my friends that are married with kids. I definitely have seen a lot change in their lives, sometimes for the quote better. And sometimes I see them changing in ways that I don't think that they're fully happy with. (laughs) Number one is that they all seem really exhausted. And they collectively all seem to be very frustrated with how little time they have to themselves. And I equate time with independence. So when I think about the pros and cons of having children, a big con to me is is losing my time independence. And I, I think that being married feels quite different because my friends that are just married without children, like they don't seem like anything's that different. Like how different is it from being in a relationship? It just is another level of commitment. And it's almost like, oh, I feel settled now. Like there's that kind of energy around that. But I don't know, like this, I think it's the word tradition that really throws me off. You know, like I don't have an issue with being a a mom, a dad, a wife, a husband, like whatever that is. But when you throw in the word traditional, that's where I'm like, immediately like, I don't know if that's for me. Because I don't consider myself traditional. Yeah, that's almost like a trigger word for you in a way. It's really interesting. And it brings up this idea of why movements start in the first place. And kind of looking at the suffragette movement and the rise of feminism and equal rights. And you look at a system that in America and many other systems were created to benefit a very small group of people. I mean, here in the US, we've talked a lot about how many gender and racial biases there are that you know you look at the most of the wealth and privilege and political power and financial abundance and it's white men of european descent still to this day so on the one hand you know when you bring up the word traditionalism whitney i think there are some aspects of it that sound i don't know kind of appealing to a degree i mean just kind of layering it back on some of these things of homesteading and growing your own food and pickling and canning food and having like a really great pantry at home and this idea of food security. and Right. And some of the things that were brought up in these articles that Kate wrote was not only sourdough bread baking, but intricate skincare routines and taking inspiration from the 1800s and making soup and walking through fields. And you know, like if you think <laughs> about it, a lot of people were posting stuff like that. I think there's like a draw to that. And I guess it is traditional, right? It it feels like, ooh, can we go back to the olden times? And what's really fascinating, we'll get to soon, is this same author wrote a follow-up article. So originally she wrote about Trad Wife in October 2020. And then she did one in December about how she fell, fell out of love with the term Trad Wife 
and how her perspective of it started to change. So I'll get to that at some point. I think to me, it's just a question of when we make lifestyle changes or adjustments, I think there's this idea, sort of like I'm going to paraphrase Abraham Hicks for a second, that the only reason that anybody would do anything is that they think it will make them feel better. I think that's a pretty close quote. That's a pretty close paraphrasing of the Abraham Hicks quote. And so in this sense, you know, if people are returning to a quote traditional or old world style or a more rustic homegrown DIY aesthetic, my curiosity Whitney goes to is it a reaction to someone being burnt out on the fast-paced digital quote modern lifestyle? Is it a reactionary lifestyle shift toward that, right? Like raging against the modern machine. And so we're going to bake sourdough and can vegetables and wear frilly lace dresses and traipse through the fields behind our home where we have acreage. Is the little house on a prairie sort of paradigm reactionary to modernism? And or an offshoot of that, is it someone like, maybe this will make me happy. Maybe if I, I think this will simplify my life, I'll be happier as a result of it. Like I'm wondering what is the psychology behind someone choosing this? I agree. It is really fascinating. And I I wonder the same thing. I'm not 100% sure because I'm still kind of learning about this, but it's interesting to read about it mostly through the lens of Kate Lindsay from Influence.co because she said that it feels like the last remaining card she has to play. She's gone through all the normal coping mechanisms, volunteering, donating, changing jobs, changing apartments, exercising regularly, drinking hot water with lemon in it, growing herbs in her windowsill, knitting socks and making sourdough bread. And yet the pandemic didn't end. And yet at the time she originally wrote this, Donald Trump was still president. And she was like, can I just opt out of all of this hardship? Like to quote her, she says, What if I just disappear and one day someone finds me upstate, married to a man named Ezekiel? I have no idea who's president, and I don't care that I can't go to a movie theater or meet my friends at a restaurant or literally go anywhere because I have chicken pot pie in the oven and three babies to bathe. (laughs) I've had similar thoughts specifically about a man named Ezekiel. Kidding. The part about, it's funny, I joke, but I'm also serious. I have had thoughts of, quote, disappearing. This is a bit tangential, but I feel like it's important for me to to speak to this. I feel like I, and you and I have talked about this not only offline, friend to friend, but here on the podcast of the feelings of overwhelm and social media burnout and me wanting to do the detox. But beyond that, I literally have these ideas sometimes of like, let's pack up the cats and pack up the car and go to a cabin and If you can find me, you can find me. And if you can't, you can. And then the part of my brain is like, that would be irresponsible. And people would worry about you. And they wondered if you died and they'd have to call the police and send out a a missing persons report. But I do have fantasies of disappearing. It's really, I know this might be not completely apropos of what we're discussing, but the idea of exiting, quote, modern life and all of its stress and all of its anxiety and all of its oppression and just like living in the woods somewhere. There is a really deep appeal to me with that. And so when you said that in her paradigm, I was like, I've had my own version of that fantasy. I still do. 
I know you do. I think this is what's interesting. Like maybe you want to be a trad wife, Jason. (laughs) Oh man. I mean, the idea of growing a big ass garden and having acreage and like a really quiet house in the woods and a bunch of animals. I mean, and to answer my own question, for me, these desires, Whitney, to minimize, be simpler, grow food, be more DIY, live a simpler, quieter life. For me, it is a reaction because I've had so much of the opposite in 43 years of city, 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 some of the biggest cities on earth, the the pace of entrepreneurship and digital technology. A lot of the things we've already talked about, we don't want to rehash all of these things ad nauseum, but for me, I think it is a reactionary measure. And to your point, I don't know that that would necessarily, quote, make me more content or make me more joyful, but I feel like super fast, hectic, crazy, modern life in a big city, like I got it. There's nothing else I need to explore or grok from that experience. So I think my soul is like, well, what if we do something that's totally opposite? Because we've never done that before. At least that's my own personal dialogue around it. But then that leads me to wonder, like, is it just a coping mechanism similar to that episode we did this earlier this week about pseudo self boosters and pseudo maturity? It's like, are we just looking to escape as like a way of thinking that that's actually going to make us feel better in the long term? And I think that's part of the point that Kate Lindsay ultimately comes to through her articles. And she starts the article about coping mechanisms and ends with them. So I can affirm that it is about coping. And that's what drew her to Trad Wife. And ultimately, what caused her to fall out of love with that trend, I think is super interesting because I, I didn't realize that they were correlated. Maybe they're not. But she said that one of the accounts that she was really enjoying turned out to be COVID denying. And I guess like a lot of the people that were kind of associated with that one account or maybe with trad wives in general were like saying a lot of things that weren't accurate about COVID. And Let's see. There was a comment that she uses. An example said, wow, I know you're into 1800s living, but I think the disease spreading is taking it a hair too far. And I guess like that doesn't fully make sense to me in con- out of context, but it is kind of interesting. Like, I wonder, like, is there an appeal to living like we're in the 1800s because then we can pretend that COVID doesn't exist or something like this is life before we developed in certain ways and thus maybe we're more protected from COVID. Like that's kind of interesting as well. And again, I'm not trying to make this blanket statement that trad wives are COVID deniers, but maybe they are. Maybe is it kind of like a QAnon thing? Like, I I don't really know. But ultimately that experience turned Kate Lindsay off of trad wives. And she recognized that she was just interested in it because it was a coping mechanism that she was clinging to. Just like you're saying, Jason, it was like, even if you don't choose to live that lifestyle, looking at social media accounts like that could be an escape for you. And again, that does actually fall into that pseudo self-boosting. It's like, ooh, I can have temporary relief from my anxiety. I can pretend that COVID isn't happening because we can all pretend that we're living in the 1800s. Like, That sounds really soothing in the moment, but is it really sustainable for you? Like, are you somebody that is going to continue growing your own food for the rest of your life? Maybe, maybe not. Or maybe it's just fun to look at for a few months 
And then you realize that's not really something that is helping you. Well, this is just like the grass is always greener conversation. We observe people's lives and their lifestyles and think, ooh, that might be more nourishing. That might be more joyful. That might give me more contentment. But beyond the theoretical, you're talking about Whitney, there's the actual of, okay, if I had (laughs) goats and pigs and chickens and a bunch more animals and acreage and lawns to mow and gardens to tend and food to grow, it brings up the conversation of, I suppose, where does work fit in that conversation? Where does family fit in that conversation? Where does leisure time fit in that conversation? I don't know because I've never lived that lifestyle, but I suppose part of it is the curiosity for me because it is so opposite of modernized, commoditized city living. The other thing I just wanted to piggyback on too, and this is, this is only my observation, I have several acquaintances that I know in real life, but I'm also, we're following each other on social media. And I've observed that some of their motivation that they've discussed in their social posts in relation to COVID and the vaccines that have been rolled out and the idea of higher levels of government control and observation and surveillance. And I don't know what what we even would call this whole thing anymore. I mean, conspiracy theories is just a little, it's not really the best way to describe all this, but they're concerned about where we're all heading as a human society. Let's just say that. And I think what I've noticed in these acquaintances and friends posting is the idea of moving to a place to grow one's own food and create a higher level of acumen around herbalism is like, let's not depend on Western medicine. Let's not depend on air travel. Let's not depend on corporatized food in the sense that there's a theory going around that there's going to be these microchips or written digitized vaccination records that if you're not vaccinated, there's a theory that they're going to start, they as in the government will begin to deny you certain things like access to food. They'll deny you access to travel. They'll deny you access to concerts and sporting events. And so in summary, some of the people I've noticed, this sort of homesteading or trad wifing, now that I'm familiar with this term, seems to be a a somewhat proactive slash fear-based reaction against what may happen, which I think is interesting because we don't know if that's going to happen. Some people are very, very convinced it will, that we'll be forced to be microchipped, forced to be vaccinated, have to have digital vax records. And if we don't, they're going to shut down our bank accounts, shut down our food supply. I don't know. I don't like to go down that road because, again, I don't know if that's true. Some people really, really believe that that's what's going to happen. And so my point is I've seen people doing that for that reason, Whitney, which is really fascinating to me to observe. Hey, 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 we're going to pause for a brief moment to remind you to enter our holiday giveaway and podcast anniversary cornucopia of amazing prizes that are coming your way. You've heard us mention a lot of great brands in the podcast here, and we have partnered with so many in our holiday giveaway, including Brush With Bamboo, New Wave Enviro, Hopf Chocolate, The Bitter Housewife, Sun Warrior, V-Dog. There's so many incredible brands in this package. Peak Tea is included as well. Peak Tea. And you know what? It's part of our season of giving. We feel like being super generous. Why? Because we've had a hard MF in year, okay? Everyone's just been like, oh, when is this going to be over? But you know what? There's something about receiving gifts and love and nourishment that just makes getting through this whole craziness just a whole lot easier. So we're excited 
to have you enter. Whitney, what's that URL again? Well, I'm not going to spell it this time again because I don't want to mess it up. Although maybe I will. Maybe sometimes it's good to get back up and try something. So here we go. The URL is wellevator.com slash giveaway. It's a very easy word to spell, although you could still mess it up like I did. So let me try this again. W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R dot com backslash G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y. I did it, Jason. Nailed it. Nailed it. I think as an offshoot of the conversation, I've thought about this a lot in terms of, you know, disaster preparedness. We live in California currently, and for years, it's been this idea of of have a disaster bag ready in case of an earthquake or some huge natural disaster. You want to make sure that you're ready to pack up and go in like 15 minutes. And I have some of those things prepared. Some of them I don't, you know, in the sense that if the proverbial shit were to hit the fan... How would I collect my most important belongings and get the cats? And if my partner Laura is here, and how do we have an exit plan? And it's interesting because I think that's wise. Preparedness is wise to a degree. But what is the line between being prepared and creating your life in a structure that is based out of fear or trying to prepare for things that may never happen? I mean, on the biggest I suppose end of the spectrum are like doomsday preppers, you know, people that have built bunkers for themselves underground and have years worth of food and ammunition and supplies. And it's funny because sometimes I actually think like, what would happen if, you know, we had martial law and what happened if there was a food shortage and what would I do? And I suppose compared to what I could be doing, I'm woefully unprepared for those kind of things. And I know we're going a little bit off topic here, but I'm curious, Whitney, do you think about this of like earthquake preparedness or disaster preparedness? If the shit hit the fan, you know, do you have a a system in your mind of like, okay, grab Evie, grab this, do this, do that? Or are you just like, eh, I'll figure it out? (laughs) I've gone through phases of being prepared, especially after earthquakes. And it's like a usually a wake up call for me. And then I think COVID also brought some more awareness for me. So I have some basics. I have like probably 70, 80% of solid earthquake kit in my car and at home near the door, you know, and I've read a lot about that stuff. And when COVID hit, I made sure that I stocked up on soups. Shout out to Amy's Kitchen. (laughs) Amy's Kitchen's actually always been part of my emergency preparedness kit because I remember the first time I made an earthquake kit, I put a can of Amy's soup in there. And it's really good, actually. (laughs) I've been really into it during COVID because it's just so convenient. And it's great ingredients. So things like that, like having soup around, which you can eat cold or you can use a little propane tank. I think a lot of my experiences on my road trip, and we can link to the episodes about the foods that I brought, things that I had, especially the episode we did on my return trip back from Massachusetts to Los Angeles at the end of October. I believe I talked about this, Jason how I used a a propane burner for like the first real time. It's like a camping kit that you could have. And it was so cool. Like I felt like, wow, I can really live off the grid. And I kind of was traveling across the country and camping. You learn a lot of skills from those things. And I think that is part of the appeal here is, is like, what do we do? What do you do without electricity? I lost power, let's see, a few weeks ago. The power went out for only like maybe two hours, 
but it threw me off. Suddenly you realize how dependent you are on electric lighting, you know, because this happened at night. (laughs) The internet was off. I kept going and trying to switch on lights no matter how many times I did it. I kept doing it over and over again because it's such a habit. And just like recognizing over and over again how dependent I am, you know, and then like, what do I do if my batteries run out and this and that? And so I think it actually is cool when we have these opportunities to prepare. But to your point, Jason, some of us are not nearly as prepared. I think actually, statistically, most people are not prepared for a disaster. And if we look on the bright side of a national emergency or even a local emergency, we do have that opportunity to think about these things. Like, having access to masks, right? Like I had an N95 mask in my emergency preparedness kit, but I never really thought about it in the context that we think about masks now. I don't think most people do. They don't really think about what would happen if all the food runs out of the grocery store. I mean, remember that, Jason? Like those first experiences of going to the grocery store in March 2020 and just like walking around when the shelves were empty was so bizarre. Like mentally, we've never been in that situation before. And I started to panic. I'm like, what would I do if all the food ran out and I had nothing to eat? It's really scary. But I think um, going through that and stocking up on some foods like soups and also doing my road trip where I was camping and had to think very differently about daily survival. Like, where do you use the bathroom? How do you discard of things? How do you warm up your food? Where do you get water from? Another product that was a huge, that played a huge role in my travels over the years, but definitely on my road trip is Life Straw. And shout out to them as well. We'll link to all of these products in our show notes at wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Life Straw is awesome because I believe, I've still been a little too scared to do this, but I'm (laughs) fairly certain you can put them in a stream. That's what they're designed for. They're designed for all different scenarios of when you need emergency water. And double check on their website. Don't quote me on this, but their images do show people drinking out of streams. So I assume I'm just scared to do that. Like that, I would definitely choose not to drink out of a stream again because I, One time I did that without a filter and got really sick. But the Life Straw is designed to prevent you from getting sick. So that's another cool thing is like on my road trips, thinking about not only where I was getting water from, but like, is this filtered water? So having a portable water or an emergency water filter is really awesome. And I feel the same way about my Berkey because you can travel around with those. They're not as convenient as a Life Straw because that goes in your water bottle. But like, Just having access to water is such an important thing that we take for granted until you're camping or your power goes out or something like that. One thing that I've been a little bit obsessed is too hard of a word, really, really interested in over the years has been food foraging. And as a throwback to one of our earliest episodes where you were in complete disbelief of my original idea for my TV series, which was Food Fetch. We'll link to that show. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And that the whole idea for the series was, was me going around to different cities in the US and finding food to forage and then 
bringing that to a family in the neighborhood and showing them how to make meals out of free food they could forage in their own neighborhood. We were going to shoot it in like Portland, LA, New York. And so you talk about a food shortage, Whitney. You know, I've thought about this in the sense of not just water filtration and like, okay, if we had to go to the LA River and bring buckets of water back and filter them, okay, done. But what about food? Every neighborhood that I've lived in since I started to get interested in food foraging like 12 years ago, I remember the first time I ever actually foraged for food, I was in Portland and I used a website. I don't know if it's still available, but I think it was Fallen Fruit was the website and they had these interactive maps and I was mapping all over the city of Portland and going and finding persimmons and finding kumquats and finding figs. And it was the fall when I was there. And it was just like, I remember getting bags of free food. So in my neighborhood that I'm in Los Angeles right now, kind of on this tip, you know, if things quote really got bad and we ran out of food at the store, there's avocado trees in my neighborhood. I've noticed there's lemon trees, all kinds of citrus trees. There are people who have just massive amounts of like nasturtium and rosemary and natural herbs growing around. Now, it wouldn't necessarily be the most diverse feast ever, but a diet of avocado and citrus fruits and greens and nasturtium and things you could forage, one could survive on that, right? So I've always just flocked to foraging because I think it's so interesting. In old neighborhoods, I found blackberry bushes and fig trees. My old apartment in, in Koreatown that you know, there was a fig tree next to the church that was next to my apartment building. So it may not be the easiest thing to do, but if you, the listener, <laughs> want to look online, there's Fallen Fruit and there's a couple others we'll link to in the show notes at wellevator.com. Again, our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com and just click on the podcast section. You'll find the show notes with everything we're referencing there, including all of our previous episodes and any further educational links that you want to go further down the rabbit hole. But my point is with I think if we know what to look for in our neighborhoods, you know, it may not be this case in Alaska per se, but at least here on the West Coast, there's an ample amount of free food just hanging out in many, many neighborhoods. You just need to look for it. You're absolutely right. And I, I think that that foraging website still exists. And I also feel like we might have mentioned this on an episode, but there are definitely websites like that. And I mean, it's very empowering. And I think that's probably why things like Tradwife is so appealing. It's not just a pandemic thing. I think in general, there has been a desire, especially for younger generations, which probably are the ones that coined this term, Tradwife, there's a desire to minimize. It's like, how simple can I live? And I don't know if that's coming out of a desire to rebel or a desire to have more control. And like I said, freedom and a desire to go back to basics and, you know, like, the rise of minimalism over the years has been a huge trend and it's appealed to people like you, Jason. And I think like both of us can relate to that. I just found it interesting when when like it was combined with the word wife. And then maybe I'll have to dig a little bit deeper. Like maybe it is based in religion. And I don't again, I don't have any problem with Christianity, for example. But there are elements of Christianity that just don't align with me. You know, I think the traditional roots of it, I like to take a modern spin on, on living that way, you know, and, and I think like maybe I'd have to coin a new term like mod wife, like a modern wife that would appeal to me <laughs> or a mod trad wife. Like, can you be modern and traditional at the same time? Like modern in your thinking, <laughs> modern in your independence, but traditional in terms of like, 
getting back to basics. Like that would work for me. I'd be into that. I think this is just about like, be what you want to be, even if there's not a term for it. You know, I was giggling because it's like, well, I'm a mod trad. Like what kind of wife are you? Mod trad. Mm -hmm. What's mod trad? I mean, it's funny because I, I feel like in some ways, individuals might be looking for a different way to live that's more in line with their values or their religious beliefs or their spirituality, or as you said, Wit, just wanting to minimize their life and live simply. There's a lot of, as I mentioned, appeal to me in simplifying and being closer to nature and living a quieter life. And those desires for me are not abating. They're growing stronger literally by the day. But I think that, as you said, the danger with labels is that once things kind of like catch on and they become a thing, and there's a lot of people that identify with being that thing, there can be like this tyranny of the majority that you talked about at the beginning of this episode of, oh, oh, well, if you label yourself as a trad wife or a mod trad or a trad mod, partial mod trad, I don't, there's a million different things we could go here with this terminology. But I think it's important to ask ourselves why we're doing it in the sense of, I think a lot of people, and this is probably a very humanistic thing to do because we're very tribal creatures and we, again, seek approval and attention and significance and community. These are things that we seek out in life. Are we doing things like this trad wife or mod wife because we're trying to align with an identity that we saw other people doing and went, oh, that looks good. I want to be that too. You mentioned veganism, Whitney. I mean, we talk about Christianity. We can interject any type of system of belief, I suppose, into this conversation. But the danger is someone seeking an element of maybe radical individuality or like, ooh, I want to join this movement. This movement looks good. But the unfortunate aspect is movements have a, a tendency to crush the individual at a certain point because the individual isn't adhering to the tenets of the movement. And that's one of the reasons that I have such a distaste for the vegan movement right now. I have many vegan friends. I have people that I love in my life that are both vegan and non-vegan, but the movement, quote unquote, the umbrella, there are tactics and thought forms and ways of being that do not resonate with me. And I don't want to be associated with the movement. The same way when I left Catholicism when I was a teenager, I remember telling my mom, I don't want to go to church anymore. She said, why? I said, I don't agree with what they're saying. I remember having this conversation of like, I believe in compassion. I believe in generosity. I believe in forgiveness. I believe in striving to extend unconditional love. But having it be interpreted in the way that the church was interpreting the quote word of God, I was like, no, I'm not down with this. I don't want to be part of the Catholic religion anymore. I want to have my own beliefs, my own relationship with God and spirit, whatever that means to me. And I don't give a shit what anyone else thinks. So I guess my long winded diatribe wit is. It can be appealing, right, to be, I'm going to join this movement, religion, faction, tribe, whatever it is. But I just feel that the bigger movements get, the more they have the ability to crush the individual will of the person. For sure. And I think that's why, coming back to what we talked about on Monday's episode, it's really important for us to define our own way of thinking and step out of these habits that we have that are really coming out of a desire to cope and feel better temporarily. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest issues we face as humans is we are wired to look for the biggest bang for our buck and put the least amount of effort into something to get what we need. You know, this is like fast food. It's a huge challenge for us because a lot of 
this is about short-term thinking and we can't help it. Like that's just how we are as human beings. I think part of this is, well, actually maybe a lot of this is, a lot of this is the reason that we feel overwhelmed and burnt out for two reasons. One, if we choose a short-term solution, let's say fast food, there's usually a long-term consequence. So if you eat poor food, it could be processed food, it could be drive-through food, whatever you define as fast food or junk food, right? It tastes great in the moment. It might be inexpensive. You might feel really satisfied, but it's also common knowledge that it's not going to make you feel great. You might gain weight from it. It might not give you a lot of energy. You might feel inflamed. You might feel sick. Like The list goes on and on of the long-term side effects. If you don't do it all the time, then it's got a less of an impact on you. And also, in terms of the long-term effect, if you're doing something like eating super processed food all the time, then your body is going to have a harder time coping. So that's the trade-off. It might be a short-term coping mechanism because a lot of fast food, processed food tastes really good in the moment. And a lot of us go to foods like that when we're stressed. It's like, Ugh, I don't want to spend a lot of money. Let me get the cheapest thing that makes me feel good in this moment. Ugh, I, you know, I'm too busy to cook. Let me get the fastest thing or let me get the food that I know immediately makes me feel good because it's been designed to make me feel good. It's been engineered to make me feel good. And we may even know in that moment that it's not good for our long term health, but we choose it anyways. But then, we regret it in the long term. Like we look back and wonder why we did so much of that. Why has that decision happened? And now we're sitting here maybe feeling exhausted because our body just can't even function properly when eating those types of food, right? And then that we start to equate with burnout. It's harder for us to deal with burnout and overwhelm when our bodies are physically weighed down by those decisions, right? So it's really interesting. Like, I think this is where this idea of like the pseudo side of things, it's to me very similar to the short term, because if we're not careful, if we continuously choose the superficial, the short term, the pseudo, we have to pay a price eventually. And I think the United States is constantly in that situation. If we don't get enough sleep, eventually our bodies will break down and we'll no longer be able to cope. If we're constantly hustling to make money, our bodies can't take it anymore. Yes, we might have that money and that money might be great in the short term. And it also might be great in the long term. But then, you know, a lot of people are horrible at managing their money. And I mean, I can go on and on with these examples. And it's like, basically, the United States currently really struggles with this. And I'm sure other countries do as well. But we also, as Americans, tend to idolize like European countries like, oh, wow, like they just have it easy. They're taking siestas or they're going to the farmer's markets and getting fresh baguettes in France and their food doesn't have as many chemicals in it and whatever else. And we idolize these other countries and maybe they are living well. Maybe they are better at managing their short term desire. <laughs> you know, I think it's a bigger issue ultimately, and not just in, in the United States, but globally. And I think that we do need to pay a lot of attention to this and catch ourselves. Like, are we choosing something for the short term or the long term? And are we willing to deal with the consequences of either? 
it's a hard conversation in a way because we don't really know what the long-term effects of our decisions are going to be, whether that's stock market investing, right? Do we put our money in water futures? Do we put our money into Tesla, which is going to be just at the time of this episode, finally been on the S&P 500? You know, do we put our money into Bitcoin and crypto? I feel like this idea of short-term versus long-term Whitney is almost like a daily kind of subconscious conversation of what we're eating, our choices, how they're compounding. I sit with this all the time. And the ultimate reality is life is kind of a gamble in the sense that even the way that I eat, it's sort of hedging bets. Do I know that the way that I eat and the way that I live is going to make me impervious to disease or pain? Of course not. But I'm hedging my bets that if I eat organic and eat plants and eat nutrient-dense food and drink clean water, and we're just betting. I mean, if we think about most of life, whether again, that's a financial investment or an investment in our health or investing our time, energy, attention into a relationship, we have no idea how things are going to turn out. And I think as humans, we, we like to play a game, the expectation game, that we, we think, okay, if I just do X, Y, and Z, and I set all my ducks up in a row, and I make this investment, and I do this thing, it'll result in this. And it goes back to one of the things that you and I have discussed ad nauseum in many different forms on this podcast, which is we don't know. To your point about fast food, there's always that person who's like, well, you know my grandma, she ate marshmallow bacon sandwiches and smoked for 80 years of her life, and she lived till she was 107, so, you know, fuck your tofu. <laughs> there's always that person. I don't personally think for me that, you know, eating bacon and marshmallow sandwiches and spending beyond my means and having toxic negative people around me is going to necessarily result in the kind of life I want in the future. But at the end of the day, Whitney, I mean, we're just kind of hedging our bets with everything in life because we have no idea how anything's going to turn out. But maybe we try and stack the deck in our favor as much as we can. We know there's no guarantee of an outcome, but I think all of us are trying to do is be joyful and content and live a good life. But we don't know if our choices are going to result in that. We got some bamboo toothbrushes for your teeth, some V-Dog treats for your friends with four feet. <laughs> I'm trying to make a song and I'm failing. This is so unlike me. We got a holiday giveaway with some sun warrior collagen to build your plump, beautiful, glowing skin so that maybe when you start dating again in 2021, you're going to win. We also have some sparkling bitter sodas that you'll feel in your mouth and down in your scrotas. Oh my God, I can't believe I just used the word scrotas. <laughs> Can we keep that in? Maybe that's inappropriate. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. We I think we should keep it in. That's why the show is called This Might Get Uncomfortable. <laughs> we have so many incredible gifts that you can win in our holiday giveaway and our podcast anniversary extravaganza. I've never used the word extravaganza here on the podcast, but there's a first time for everything. You know, Whitney, we've got CBD in the mix. We've got some amazing granola. We've got some eco-friendly storage wear. We've got just so much cool stuff. Just a boatload. A bo Storage oh. wear. Well, I don't know. Well, like eco-friendly to-go wear, stuff you can put your food in. Oh, yeah. Stuff you That's can put good. Honestly, it's, it's really good. And I think you and I either own all of these products ourselves or have tried it at least once. And I'm very grateful for each of them in our lives. We went and curated 
a list of brands that we've raved about here on the podcast and uh, have been generous with us. We wanted them to be generous with you too as a listener, especially if you've been with us from the beginning, if you listen to most shows, if you've been sharing it, leaving reviews, we feel like you deserve a reward. And, And really, as Jason was saying, this has been a tough year. The holidays are different this year. Let's mix it up. Let's have some fun. Let's bring some joy to each other's lives and give you a chance. We've got a number of prizes, too, for a variety of winners. There's not just one winner in this giveaway. There are six. So your chances are high if you go to wellevator.com slash giveaway. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R dot com slash G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y. I really struggle with spelling sometimes and pronunciations, just like you might struggle with singing a song after you have an idea. That's part of being vulnerable and growing as a human being is putting yourself out there even when it's embarrassing. So thank you for singing, Jason. I love your songs. I hope the listener does too. And I really hope the listeners go and check out this giveaway because it's really, really good. Well, for me, Whitney, I think what I want to do is investigate starting a subgenre of this movement and call it trad hubs instead of trad wife it's going to be trad hubs and i in my mind i'm thinking what would a traditional husband do hmm in my mind's eye it's like build stuff erect a barn chop a lot of wood fend off marauding hordes at the border of our home i was going to say you know go hunting but i wouldn't do that yeah i'd go hunting for rutabagas I don't know. It's as we're wrapping this episode, I'm just wondering kind of out loud if I were to do an offshoot of this and be like, I wonder what a traditional husband would do. Like when I say that, like trad hubs, what comes up for you? What do you think a trad hubby would do? Go to work. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, huh? (laughs) Like, like, uh, yeah, I guess like I think there's the two sides of tradition. It's like you've got the man that goes off to the office and, and he's bringing home the proverbial bacon. You know, it's like he's making the money for the family and making it so that everybody can live the life that they want, I suppose. Or you can look at it like from a hunter gatherer perspective and be like, okay, he's the one going out to get actually get food. Yeah, it makes me wonder, you know, especially in the context of where my life may or may not be leading of simplifying and living closer to nature. And maybe if I make it to the Pacific Northwest, having to chop wood for a fireplace. And speaking of which, last night, I got to be in front of a fireplace, an actual like log burning fireplace for the first time in I don't remember how long. And it was such a magical experience. There's something about building a fire and being in front of a fire from scratch with actual burning wood inside a house that is so magical. It's so special. So I don't know, maybe building fires, chopping wood, felling trees. I don't know. I'm going to investigate this whole idea of trad hubs. And if you, dear listener, have any ideas of what we've discussed with this movement of traditionalism and going back to maybe, quote, traditional gender roles. We always love hearing from you and we get your emails from time to time and think, this is some really good perspective. So if you want to reach out with any comments, we always love hearing from you. You can either do that in the show notes for this episode, which once again, you can find at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Click on the podcast section and you can leave a comment in the show notes for us on this post at the very bottom. Or you can shoot us an email directly. It's hello at wellevator.com. Whitney and I read all of your emails and do our best to respond in a timely manner. And also on social media, we've got some really great stuff going on on our Instagram account. 
We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok. Again, it's at Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And likewise, if you have any topics you'd like us to cover, any questions you may have, we do that from time to time. When listeners like you email us and say, hey, would you do an episode about blah, blah, blah? Anything you have in mind, please submit your episode ideas and we'll cover your questions or ideas probably in the future. Until then, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. Thank you for your listenership, your reviews, your positive support, and we will be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.